1777, as the Americans were struggling mightily against the British Empire in their quest for freedom and independence, help came in the most obvious and predictable form. A super-rich 19-year-old Frenchman. Over the next few years, he would travel back and forth across the ocean to bring funds and weapons to the Continentals and to lead troops to glory on the front lines of the battlefield. It's not much of a stretch to say that without his intervention, there may have never been a United States of America. And yet, not a lot of people know his story. So once again, the real heroes here at HPH are here to tell you all about this guy and the happy fun times of his youth before coming back in a couple of weeks to tell you how it all went to shit. But yeah, this week's fun. So, settle in, grab a drink, and enjoy this episode of Hunter Proof History, titled Lafayette. French by blood, American by bloodshed. This is Hundred Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax. And enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Ooh, yeah. Good morning, listener. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good on this bright and early 6 a.m. day. Mm-hmm. I had my first drink about half an hour ago. <laughs> this day, like... Every other day, mm-hmm. in perpetuity, wake up, drink, podcast, drink, cry, sleep, wake up halfway through because I have to piss so bad from all the drinking, <laughs> drink, cry, sleep. The end. That's nice. I like that. I think we're on the same schedule. It's, it's kind of cool how that syncs up after a while, right? Like the ladies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know we've been around each other enough that... We're both up at two in the morning having our existential crisis. Yeah. And text each other, how you doing? Shut up. Life is meaningless. You know, that's what you say to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, God damn, he's right. He's always right. I'm never right about anything. And I put the gun to my head. But then I fall asleep because I'm so goddamn drunk. You know? <laughs> I do know. I do. Yeah. We're in sync, just like the, the ladies and their tampons. Yeah, every podcaster knows what we're saying right now. I mean, you, normal people don't, but every podcaster's like, oh, God, that's my life. Oh, God. Joe Rogan's got the gun in his mouth right now. He's like, fuck, how'd they know? <laughs> I love ivermectin. <laughs> oh, take the gun out, Joe. Oh, yeah, I love ivermectin. <laughs> well, what are we talking about today, Mr. Christopher? Today we are talking about the Marquis de Lafayette, a revolutionary war figure. Uh, I don't think he gets a lot of play. You know, you go back to your days of schooling, ducking the bullies, trying to make the girls think they should like you, but not actually talking to them, just kind of like standing off in the corner looking weird, but thinking it's like you're pulling off mysterious. Mm-hmm. And they taught you about Washington and Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson. Well, because those were Americans. Yeah. Well, Lafayette doesn't Even get... though they weren't. <laughs> they were fucking English separatists. Well... I mean, you're splitting hairs, I feel like. Getting a little pedantic. Just because America didn't exist, they couldn't be Americans. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Well, and this this dude's from the uh, the land of surrender and freedom fries. Right, yeah. That was a, a funny thing. You know, you go back to, even back to World War One, how much America loved France and how buddy-buddy we were. 
And then just 20 years ago, it's like, fuck you, you French surrender monkey. I'm freedom frying this. I ain't no, no French fries in my goddamn hamburger. Yeah. Despite like the fucking thousand years that they were warmongers and really good at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we might not be the smartest people, but. No, we are, Chris. It's fucking, it's them. Yeah. Oh, it's been, the rest of them. We as collective Americans. I don't identify. Don't lump me in with those assholes. I've seen their tweets. Oh, my God. They didn't even support us on January 6th. <laughs> <laughs> when we were trying to instill the, the fucking king. Yeah. The king of our land. <laughs> they didn't bring over their guillotines and shit. Come over here and revolutionize our country. Fucking surrender, bitches. I don't, God, you know what the national flag of France is, don't you? White flag. That's right. Got them. Yeah. Yeah. The true patriots were out on January 6th trying to institute a monarchy. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, what, what's the story about? Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. So anyway, yeah, Lafayette, he doesn't get a lot of play. I don't think a lot of people know how much he contributed to the revolution and how important he and France both were. So we're going to talk about that uh, this week, and then next week we're going to dive into what happened when we went back to France and tried to do the same thing for them. And it, uh, They weren't as receptive for some reason. The king wasn't like, yeah, we should get rid of the king. That sounds like a great fucking plan. <laughs> yeah, fuck me, right? <laughs> well, to tell this story, Greg, we had to rely on one main source, a couple other sources, but one main one, and that was Lafayette. By Harlow Giles Unger. Hmm. Yeah. We're going to trust a German's <laughs> opinion on a Frenchman. Okay. Let's see where this takes us. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes to, to do my research, I do go to the Wikipedia and I'm like, okay, well, let's just make sure I'm telling the story right. Like, I'm not mixing it up because I read a you know, 600-page book and I'm just pulling out the highlights. So I go to Wikipedia to make sure I got the timeline right. And... The number one referenced book in throughout the Wikipedia was Harlow Giles Unger Lafayette. So skip this podcast, just go look, read the Wikipedia, you'll get the whole fucking story. That's all I'm saying. Wait, no, no. God damn it, Chris. But be prepared. Jimmy Wales is gonna ask you for fucking money. Oh yeah, just five saying. bucks. Ugh. They accept Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, it tells you right up top. I donate twenty dollars like, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Dude. It's like giving money to a bum. They hit me up so much. <laughs> I know. I, they always make me feel guilty because I'm like, yeah, I do use the fuck out of Wikipedia. Fine. Don't use it on drugs, Jimmy. <laughs> but I know he will. I know he will. I did the same thing with uh, PBS. Like, I gave him five bucks one month so I could watch some documentaries on Amazon. Oh, I did that. And I was like, there, this isn't like the National Geographic because you subscribe to National Geographic like once every six months you're going to see some boobs. There were no boobs. On the PBS. And, you know, I thought the P was pubic. It's public. I'm a fucking idiot. So now they hit me up like every other week telling me that my support is needed. And I'm like, okay. It's an awful joke. Number one. Thank you. Number number two. Uh-huh. You obviously haven't watched Sesame Street. Big Bird is naked. <laughs> the character Snuffleupagus, that's just, I mean, <laughs> it's very on the nose, pun intended. Uh-huh. Big hairy dick, basically. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't like that show because it supports homelessness. I think homelessness should be ended 
And you're like, no, it's it's hilarious. This guy lives in a trash can. I don't think that's funny, Greg. I don't think you should either. So I don't think we should cancel Greg, everybody. <laughs> Why are you canceling me? I I do want to end homeless. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You have mentioned that before. Soylent Green, okay? <laughs> Nobody's hungry anymore. Yeah, you solve two problems at once. That's true. That's that's how you framed it to me when you're doing the Fargo thing of shoving that foot into the uh, the wood chipper. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna question you because I am weak and can't defend myself. So it's like, yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> that's a, that's a good answer. You're all like, wait, but don't you think that's r-? and I look at you. And then I look at the wood chipper, and then I look at you, and you're like, yeah. wonderful. Don't you think that's wonderful? <laughs> I, all, I agree. Well, yeah. goodbye. <laughs> yeah, see you later. Anyway, before we get into the story, it is important to note one thing. We do have a lot of Revolutionary War fanboys that listen to us, and they get all upset when they kind of like skim past a battle. This is a story of Lafayette. So some of your favorite shit from the Revolutionary War, it might not get covered. But guess what? We're going to talk about a whole bunch of founding fathers going forward. We have a, a indefinite contract. We can never stop podcasting. So eventually, whatever you you love, like you're like, I'm really into the Battle of Cowpins. Like, that's a stupid named battle. Come on, man. Have some self-respect. But eventually, we'll get there, okay? Yeah. Yes! See, I finally had your back. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Oh, man. It feels so weird. I'm not sure I like it. I don't know what to do with it right now. Ah, uh, to be 26, losing my virginity all over again. <laughs> Am I supposed to pee with this thing? Because I can't right now for some reason. He was a nice boy, but he was only here for the summer. <laughs> anyway. You want to uh, you wanna tell us some of the story, Chris? Let's do it. Monsignor Marie Joseph Paul Eva Roque. Gilbert de Motier de Lafayette was born on September 6, 1757, in a stone chateau built over the ruins of an old castle outside the ancient Villa Feya. Whew, sounds like the beginning of a Disney movie. You did it, man. You did I it. I did it. I'm proud I of you. Did. Yeah. In regards to his ridiculously long name, Lafayette would later say, quote, It is not my fault. I was baptized like a Spaniard. That feels insulting. The Spaniards, poor guys. Anyway, um, that's part of the quote. With the name of every conceivable saint who might offer me more protection in battle. So large a proportion of fathers and sons were killed on the field of battle that the family's misfortunes in war became kind of a proverb throughout the province. End quote. Except it was in French. Yeah, yeah. I hate quotes like that. Do you? Or they translate it for you? Yeah, it's like, nah, it's not really a quote. Yeah, put it in French so I can Google Translate it, and it'll say exactly what that, except it won't be There just needs to be a different punctuation for translated quote. Okay. Like, it could be, instead of just the two Mm -hmm. apostrophes, it could be seven. Oh, that would, yeah, that'd make it look better. I gotcha. I don't agree. I need everything to be in English because that's... That's American, and I need everything to be in American because... No, it would be in English. It would just, the quotes, to show that it was a translated to English quote, it would have seven apostrophes instead of two for the quotation uh, marks. Okay. Yeah, I could see I could see how that would work. And also, you know, it'd help you stretch out your term papers so your, your teachers wouldn't bust your balls about 
number of times you put fuck in there to try and hit a word count. Those don't count as words. But it spaces out the pages, though. Come on, man. I do think it was smart of them to name him that and give him that big, long name because there was no way a bully could, like, rhyme something with that. Like, it's just this fucking eight-word name. Marie Joseph Paul, you... God damn it. I'm just... You only have to hit the last syllable, dude. Yeah? Lafayette? You don't... You don't have to do the whole thing? No. Oh. What are you, Eminem? Eminem could do it, but... I was never a bully. I was never... I was always the one getting picked on. You were never the bully. You were always the cucky. I was. And my parents named me Christine, because they thought it was, you know, more regal. God, that did not help me. (laughs) Always the cuck and never the bull. (laughs) Never the bull. Such is life. Yeah. And when it came to the misfortunes of his family in war, uh, Lafayette wasn't wrong. His grandfather had died in war against England, and when Lafayette was two, his dad was cut down by a British cannon in Prussia. In fact, most Lafayette men made it a point to knock up their wives as quickly and as often as they could before racing off to battle where they were sure they were supposed to die. Just like Lieutenant Dan. He was supposed to die in Vietnam. Like all of his relatives. Didn't happen because Forrest Gump intervened. But then he got new legs. Magic legs. When his dad got blown straight to damn hell by a cannonball, Lafayette's mom moved to Paris to live with her parents and left Lafayette to live with his paternal grandmother and aunt in the chateau. Luckily for Lafayette, his grandmother was a pretty nice lady who took care of the less fortunate by allowing them to hunt on her lands and by giving away her surplus crops from her harvest. Hmm. No way it was a barter system. Hmm, like sexual bartering? Mm, I didn't say it, you did, but <laughs> I agree with you. This old lady is like, oh, you're a strapping young lad, you've been working the fields? Yes, madam. Well, it looks like you came up a little short on your wheat harvest this year. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a bushel for you. Maybe if you harvest my bushel, your family won't go hungry. I'll give you a bushel for your corn on the cob. Mm. This is the barter system, after all. (laughs) He's like, here's a piece of corn. No, you fucking moron. You uneducated peasant. (laughs) I want your candy corn. (laughs) I want a baguette. Well, ma'am, you have to give me the wheat so I can make the... God damn it, just stick your dick in me. Jesus Christ. Give me your human penis. <laughs> you want me to chop off my penis? God, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know what? Yes. <laughs> chop it off and leave. <laughs> Pulls out the tiny guillotine. <laughs> Sticks his penis in there. <laughs> How much wheat are we talking about? Yes, me lord. <laughs> Well, his grandmother also filled Lafayette's head with tales of glory from his bloodline and led him to believe that he descended from the ancient Gaul leader, Vercingetorix. Vercingetorix, I'm sorry, Vercingetorix had been one of the few Gauls to actually give Julius Caesar just the slightest of challenges. If you guys don't know why I'm saying it like that, maybe you should go listen to the Julius Caesar episodes. Hmm. Part two specifically. Okay, I didn't remember that. Thank you. You're welcome. When he was 11, Lafayette's mom showed back up and took the boy to Paris to live with her 
and with his grandfather, the Comte de la Riviere. His rich and powerful grandpappy wanted to see his only male heir carry on the family traditions, so he pulled some strings and got Lafayette into the Collège du Plessis, which is a hoity-toity, fancy-pants military college that taught young boys how to be musketeers. I think that would be better if you said, uh, his rich and powerful grandpappy wanted to see him naked. <laughs> it's like, God damn it, what did I do now? <laughs> you didn't make it salacious enough for me. I'm almost there. I have figured out how to speak French. You just stop saying the end of the word. You're just like, oh, fuck yeah. it. I don't have time for this shit. College de policy. See, there's an S there, but fuck that S. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just a year later, in the spring of 1770, both his wayward mother and his rich-ass grandfather died of death. This meant that Lafayette, at the super-responsible age of 12, inherited the estates of both his mother and father and instantly became one of the richest people in all of France. Like the movie Richie Rich. Yeah. Were there parents in that movie? Or was that kid just an orphan who had murdered his parents to, you know, be rich, blonde, white child in America? I don't know why I needed to include his ethnicity and hair color. I just feel like it adds something in this day and age. Oh, no, he was a Nazi. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I was just trying to think of the answer to your question. But oh. No, Richie Rich was an open anti-Semite. <laughs> He's telling his butler, just like, let's move some of this to Switzerland, just in case. Let's just uh, lock that up over there. Well, yeah, in that one scene, he smells the money and he goes, ugh, ugh, and throws it on the ground. Mm. You know, he thought it smelled of You <laughs> <laughs> can't say that. <laughs> That's what Richie Rich said. <laughs> I didn't say it, Richie Rich did. In this script of Richie Rich I wrote that didn't get picked up for some reason. They didn't buy it. I don't know why. <laughs> Lafayette began receiving an annual income of 120,000 livres, or about $1.2 million in today's currency, just to sit around and do nothing. Now, he could have fucked off back to the couch and spent all day eating Cheetos, masturbating, and watching anime like any other suddenly super-rich 12-year-old would do. But Lafayette dreamed of military glory, so he stayed in military school and was soon made a second lieutenant and placed in the Black Musketeers. But still, don't get it twisted. Although the Black Musketeers sound like a badass regiment of elite soldiers that storm compounds and take out leaders of the Taliban in the middle of the night, their role was mostly ceremonial. Each day, Lafayette would ride in a parade before King Louis XV, and one of them would be given the privilege of asking the king if there were any orders. And since they weren't at war with anyone, there weren't even any orders to give. So Lafayette just kept on learning military junk and stuff at school. A few years later, when he was just about to turn 15, a rich and powerful brigadier general named Jean-Paul Francois de Noailles a.k.a. the Duke de Ayen, was looking to marry off his daughters to rich young men. For his oldest daughter, he chose one of the Black Musketeers, a fine, upstanding young man named Louis de Noual, who just so happened to be his daughter's cousin. Ooh. Lucky. Yeah. 
Let's be honest. Yeah, go to my that's family. The, yeah, it's the fantasy, isn't it? Yeah, that forbidden fruit. You know, mm. you can go to your your family reunion and your cousins over there just eating a a banana. And you're like, God damn! I wish his mustache was tickling my banana right now. Oh yeah, exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Because everybody complimenting him on his manly physique these days. Mm-hmm. He went off to college, got a little muscle. I'm just sitting there, twelve year old fucking. You know they have, they have long tablecloths at those type of mm-hmm. engagements. Well, let's just say you can imagine me watching this happen. What I was doing, <laughs> questioning everything masturbating, about- Chris. Oh Jesus, masturbating <laughs> under the tablecloth. <laughs> I thought you were just like looking up to the heavens going, God, what is wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? But no, nope. that, that's the uh, post-nut clarity. <laughs> okay. That's after your aunt looks down and is like, man, your face is all flushed and red. What's, are you okay? What'd you spill on the tablecloth? <laughs> My seed, devil woman, give me your son. <laughs> And for his obviously super mature and ready to be married 12 year old daughter, Adrian. Yeah, Adrian's fine, right? Adrian? Dude, I don't even know how to French kiss. You think I know how to fucking <laughs> speak it? She's like, You want to make out? I'm like, yeah, give me a second. You start shoving French fries in your mouth. All right, let me get these nice and chewed up and I'll pass them into you like a baby bird. What are you doing? I'm freedom kissing, baby. <laughs> Put a condom on your tongue. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried about STDs Look, look, this is my first time I don't want to get pregnant <laughs> For his obviously super mature And ready to be married 12 year old daughter Adrian, The Duke de Ion Chose the super wealthy Lafayette now, our main source doesn't say much about the cousin marriage, but it's natural to assume that it involves shotguns, moonshine, and banjos. When it came to the arranged marriage of Lafayette and Adrien, her mother wasn't having any of that shit. She and the Duke de Ion fought for months over the issue until the Duke agreed that the two wouldn't be wed for another two years. Lafayette would finish his schooling, they would all live together in the same house after the marriage, and that no one would tell Adrien about it for at least 18 months. Sounds kind of weird. And uh, little known fact, arranged marriages were the norm in 18th century European aristocracies. You might be wondering who was doing the arranging on Lafayette's side since, you know, he was just a poor little orphan child with no parents to negotiate the marriage. That duty fell to Lafayette's uncle, who was given a scant 200,000 livres, or $2 million in today's money, for his efforts. Mm. It's nice when your uncle can take care of you like that. You know, just step in. Maybe mm-hmm. your dad dad's out of the picture. And your uncle's like, you know what? I would uh I'm gonna take care of you, young man. Yeah. Show you show you some things. And so Like when you go out to the pool, mm-hmm. you don't want to get sunburned. Let me rub this lotion on you. Yeah. Well, I'm I've got trunks. I don't think I'm gonna get sunburned there. You never know when the trunks are gonna <laughs> fall off in the pool. <laughs> Thanks, Uncle. You're the greatest. (laughs) Lafayette began hanging out around the Diane Playa... 
Whee! I'm old Chris. <laughs> I made one mistake, and now I'm singing a song. I'm Chris. Bing, da, ding, da, ding, ding. Yeah. It's a minute and a half later. Because <laughs> yeah. you made one little slip up. Yep, that's you. That's what I do when my wife walks in and there's a dude in the bed. Or start doing a show. So he can gather his clothes and sneak out the back so she doesn't notice. It's just a distraction. That's all it is. <laughs> Pull out a piano from the closet and start playing <laughs> ragtime naked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then that dude naked starts doing the, the frog dance from Warner Brothers. He's like, hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. WWW. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody laughs and laughs, and then the the seriousness of the whole situation dawns upon all of you at the same time. Yeah. Marriage is over. I'm just going to get my things. For the guy, it's ruined, too. He's like, well, the thrill is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, like B.B. King, just saying. Yeah, I have to push the piano out of the room all slow and... Could you help me with this? She's like, just get the fuck out of my house. Like, no, no, I need Penis to- has gone limp <laughs> yeah. by this point. <laughs> <laughs> Condoms just barely hanging on in that thing. Just flopping in the wind. Full of pee. All right. What the fuck is this part? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Lafayette began hanging out around the Dian Palace all the time, and everyone quickly fell in love with him. And, as a kid who had spent most of his time living alone or with just a couple of relatives, he was super stoked to be a part of a big family. Adrienne still had no idea that she was betrothed to the young second lieutenant, but she fell madly in love with him anyway. That was just a little bit of that Stockholm Syndrome, you know? She wasn't allowed to see any other boys, and he's just always in there shirtless doing push-ups in a room combing his pubes yeah i think i love him daddy what else was gonna happen you know i said that to my dad and he kicked me out of the house whatever jackass (laughs) i think i love him daddy (laughs) chris i'm sick of your shit (laughs) you're 23 years old get the fuck out You sit here for 12 hours and watch football and smoke some goddamn cigarettes and man the shit goddamn up. You know how much money we wasted on those conversion camps? <laughs> well, on April 11th, 1774, 16-year-old Lafayette and 14-year-old Adrian were married. As a wedding present, the Duke d'Ion promised Lafayette that when he turned 18, he would be promoted to captain and given command of a company in the Noal Dragoons. A month after their wedding, King Louis XV died of smallpox like some sort of anti-vax idiot. (laughs) He was replaced by his son, the very aptly named King Louis XVI, and his bride, Marie Antoinette, became the queen. Never heard of her. Well, stick around. Maybe you'll learn something, Greg. From this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let's be honest. (laughs) That's true. Fair fair point, yeah. Let's be honest with each other. Not not with our wives. (laughs) Your God, not with our wives. Uh, I'm not ready. (laughs) There are certain things that ruin families. Yeah, that's true. 
And this podcast is definitely one of them. <laughs> According to our main source, Louis XVI, quote, had no interest in society or sex, end quote. And I was going to put the full quote here because it feels like he's bagging on Louis XVI pretty hard. He's like, didn't need to say that, like, his dick didn't work right. Like, it, he had painful erections and he's kind of fat and she didn't like him. And it's like, like, you're just taking shots at this dude for no reason. Like, he's catching strays in a story about Lafayette, poor bastard. Well, you either live the bully or die the cucky. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, damn. You're so smart. This is a dog-eat-dog world. You say dog-eat-dog or dog-eat-dog? Dog-eat-dog. Okay. Quote, Snoop Dogg. Thank you. Okay. Just want to make sure you got got the the saying right. I didn't want to. Have yeah, yeah. No, do, doggy dog world. Yes. Okay. Good. Woof woof. Continue, please. <laughs> well, because of his aversion to society and sex, Louis stayed in his room, sitting in a comfy chair, reading history books, while his wife threw massive parties with government funds. Hundred proof history. You guys, quiet down. I'm trying to read about the unification of Prussia. Were you trying to sound like Louis Anderson? What was King Louis, stupid? Obviously, I know, that's why I'm wondering if it was intentional. (laughs) It wasn't, no. Because he definitely sounded like Louis Anderson. (laughs) May he rest in peace. Hmm. I don't trust that guy. I'm going to go ahead and pre-posthumously cancel Louis Anderson. I feel like he looks like he may have touched a kid. (laughs) And that's enough for me. You know, that's all it takes. Oh shit! I'm getting a call from Louis Anderson's lawyers again. Fuck! I, I, man, there were a lot of qualifiers. In Ignore. There. Looks like <laughs> may have. I'm just saying. Oh, I think I think you're good. I think we're safe. If you get those lawyers off record, you'd be like, "Hey, am I right or am I right?" They'd be like, "Look, I, I, I can't say I agree with you." <laughs> But let's just put it this way. And they just put their hand up for a high five and walk out the door. That's all I'm saying. And they're like, you know that book you mentioned last episode where everybody is registered? You might want to check that. A's, it's right up front. I'm just, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Who knows, you know? Oh, poor Louie Anderson. He didn't deserve this. Or did he? Or didn't he? No, I don't know. We don't, we'll never know. Until we get proven right, and then we're going to play this over and over again. Well, invites to these parties were sent to the social elite, which included Lafayette and his wife, Adrienne, who both came from rich and powerful families. But Lafayette was raised by his grandmother in the country, and he knew absolute jack shit about high society. He would often stand in the corner and space out and hope no one would notice that he wasn't joining in on the witty conversations about men's wigs. On one occasion, the queen asked to dance with Lafayette, and he was so bad at it that she laughed at him in front of everybody. Mm. Man. Worst nightmare. It's awful. I'm a 40-year-old man, and there's still 3 a.m.s where I'm staring at the ceiling thinking about the time the girl was eating Funyuns in class, and I was like, oh, it's going to make your breath smell. She's like, I wouldn't kiss you in a thousand years. Like, God damn it. Fuck. That's mean. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) It's like the equivalent of spitting a spitball at somebody and then they pull out a gun and shoot you because you're in Columbine. Like, holy shit. 
I was like, listen here, I'm your teacher. You won't fucking talk to me that way. <laughs> no, the second part's a lie. The first really, part actually. But really, when you were a teacher, the way that the conversation went was, I wouldn't kiss you in a million years. And you were like, well, stay after class. We'll see about that. <laughs> and that was your last day as a teacher. Yeah. First day uh, in this boarding home, consequently. Just uh, all lined up perfectly. <laughs> You're gonna stay after class, Timothy. We'll see about that. <laughs> well, while all of that was happening, Lafayette's in-laws were refusing to let him live with his new wife and made him stay in his own apartment. But you know what? They weren't completely heartless because his father-in-law arranged not one, but two extramarital affairs for Lafayette. Ooh. <laughs> Dad of the year right there. All right. Neither one of those lasted very long, and eventually Lafayette snuck into his wife's apartment, and he started getting all up in them French guts. <laughs> Still hate that saying. But it sounds good when you're Cajun, though, right? Oh, yeah, boy. I'll get on them French guts. <laughs> By the spring of 1775, she was pregnant with their first child. That September, Lafayette turned 18 and was officially promoted captain and given a command in the Nuwal Dragoon. It was here that he met and befriended General Charles-Francois Comte de Broglie, who was a Grand Master Freemason and who invited Lafayette to join the super-secret society. Drinking children's blood, yeah. <laughs> Adrenochrome, oh yeah. This is where it all starts, people. Mm-hmm. This fucking Comet Pizza and Ping Pong restaurant basement shit right here. Wake up! It was called Lay Comet because it was in France. But yes, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Okay. Continue. Is that a Mason conspiracy? The Freemasons are involved in the Q thing? I, I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> I can't keep up with the shit because I, know. I don't, I don't want to give it the time of day. But I know a lot of conspiracy theorists think Masons and Secret Society are a big thing. And I know that a lot of uh, conspiracies, it's kind of, if you believe one, you're way more susceptible to believe the rest of them, so. Yeah. Anyway, the Masons believed in the right to life, liberty, and property. And they were all super excited about the fact the Americans were currently involved in a fight to gain those things from the hated British. Shortly after his daughter Henriette was born on December 15th, 1775, Lafayette began telling everyone he was ready to go to America and fight for their cause. Yeah, real talk for a second. Mm -hmm. Like imagine yourself going and believing so much in a cause of another country that you really have no relation to that you would go and then fight in their revolution. Yeah. Right? Isn't that, that's just crazy by today's standards at least. Yeah. But I have a friend that did that. Mm -hmm. He left about four years ago uh, to go fight for ISIS. <laughs> okay <laughs> yes the islamic state yeah mm -hmm. uh, that's the end of my joke i didn't i didn't flesh it out any more than that <laughs> that's, as, that's as far as you needed to get honestly i knew i'd get a reaction though but i, I have <laughs> <Yeah>. no closer <laughs> but i got the reaction i came for that, that's all you needed yeah Oh, I was going to say it's like Jeff Bezos hopping in his rocket and flying into Ukraine to fight for their independence, but, you know, that would require him to, to believe in something. 
you know? So it's yeah. not going it, to, your analogy, uh, your story, I'm glad you're able to share that with me and, you know, bring that bit of truth to the podcast so we don't have to make, you know, poor analogies like the one I was going to make. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I guess I do feel kind of like a hero. You are. Yeah. In March of 1776, General George Washington drove the British out of Boston, which made their longtime enemy, the French, all sorts of giddy. Over the following year, the French worked with the American ambassador to try and figure out how France could screw over England without actually being drawn into the war themselves. The French Minister of Foreign Affairs, Charles Gravier, Comte de Bourgin, arch-rival of the Comte de Chad, then came up with a plan. He'd send French soldiers to quote-unquote advise the Americans. Those advisors would work together to make a French general, uh, specifically the Comte de Broglie, the generalissimo of all of the combined forces. Then, once they defeated the English together, the French would take a whole bunch of land and reestablish their American empire. Now, Lafayette didn't know any of that. He just wanted to go fight. So he and his musketeer buddies asked to go. He was approved and promoted to Major General, even though he was 19, had zero military experience, and did not speak English at all. But when his buddies, who were also from noble families, asked to go, it caused an international uproar. Since all of them worked for the king, it sure did look like Louis was supporting the Americans directly. Lafayette's father-in-law was so hot-pissed that Lafayette would abandon his family and go fight, that he sent him on a diplomatic mission to London instead, where Lafayette personally met King George III. After a couple of weeks, Lafayette said, Screw this tea and biscuit shit, and made his way back to France, where he used his own money to buy a ship, the Victorie. He wrote his family's letters, saying he was ditching Adrien, who was now pregnant with his second child, and he was going to fight in war halfway across the world. He made his way to Bordeaux and got ready to leave, but received letters from his family calling him a royal dickhead. Now, he still set sail, but he soon returned to land because he felt kind of shitty about bailing on his wife and children. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Stupid. You were living the dream, and then I your know. conscience crept in. Home fucking free. <sighs> Going to America where guns and strip clubs are fucking everywhere. You got old Lafayette thinking he's Sisyphus, mm-hmm. just bound to hell. Keep pushing that rock up every day. Every No, dude. Let the rock fucking drop. Go to the top of the mountain. Go to the other side of the mountain. It's nice over there. A lot of hot dudes. A lot of hot dudes. <laughs> Jello shots. That's all I'm saying. Cabanas. He's 19. Taco going Cabanas. Back, going back to his double pregnant 16-year-old wife who just wants to sit on the couch and walk TikTok all the time. Mm. He was so close. So close. But he felt bad. And that's what happens when you have a conscience. Oh. By the time she's 22, she's got like severe sleep apnea. Mm. He's got to sleep in a separate room at 22. Yeah, she's got that prime st- fucking years. She's like, she has like real snoring problems and she could wear the CPAP, but she's like, man, that's really uncomfortable. I don't like sleeping in it. Can't you just sleep on the couch? Uh, she walks in and he's masturbating on the couch, looking at porn on his phone. And then suddenly he's the bad guy. Think of Lady Justice. In one hand, she's holding that. Mm -hmm. In the other hand, oiled up cabana boys and shots. Mm -hmm. (sighs) 
Yeah, those scales. That scale's broken. <laughs> One of those is on the floor. Lady Justice just broke her back from sheer weight of one of those. I'm just saying. Now, when Lafayette returned to France, his father-in-law had demanded that the government arrest him and they make it illegal for any other French officers to set sail for America. The king listened and he issued an arrest warrant for Lafayette, but before he could be arrested, he snuck back onto his ship, the Victory. On April 20th... 420 blaze it. Okay, good. I was I was waiting to see if it was... No, 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 not the other one. Not the other one. Columbine. Not not that one, but, all, but not the other one. <laughs> okay. Just seeing where Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. <laughs> 420 Blazing. Good thoughts only. Good vibes. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. On April 20th, 1777, the ship left Europe. Over the next two plus months, Lafayette would spend half of his time puking due to seasickness and the rest learning as much English as he could from other passengers. On June 13th, he landed in South Carolina. The people of Paris fell in love with the story of Lafayette, and young officers from across Europe raced to the city to request an opportunity to go fight in America. Meanwhile, in Philadelphia, born and raised, General George Washington was <laughs> pitching a bitch fit over that idea. He was understandably upset that France was trying to send him officers who outranked Americans who had actually fought in the war, and he demanded that Congress put a halt to it. They agreed, but when Benjamin Franklin asked Congress to make an exception for Lafayette, they did that too. Reasonable take. Yeah, like, I don't want... Why are you sending me fucking officers to try and run my army? Don't know the land, don't know the fighting that's going on in mm -hmm. those lands, the intricacies, the nuances... But hey, let's make an exception. All of that. Perfectly reasonable. Yeah. The type of shit you don't see in America today. Yeah. It's like, this dude's already here. Why, why don't we let him stay? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. God. I don't even mean like that, but, but yeah. Some American major general's like, he took my job, god damn it. Spikes his hand on the ground. <laughs> Uh, crushes a few bush lights. <laughs> <laughs> and so, by being rash and abandoning everyone in France, Lafayette had managed to keep Comte de Broglie out of the war and had inadvertently thwarted the French plan to create new colonies in America. Pretty cool, man. He just wanted to fight. All these other guys had these big ambitions, and because he came over, they were like, nobody else. Nobody else comes. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Drug that French uncircumcised penis all over all them generals. I like it. <laughs> like it. Well, in order to stay in the country, Lafayette had to agree he would not take a salary, and his rank was strictly ceremonial. He soon traveled to Philadelphia, where he met General George Washington. When Washington found out Lafayette was a Mason, he softened his opinion on the young French officer. They also bonded over how they had both lost their fathers and become super rich landowners when they were 12 years old. I mean, George became owner of a whole lot of other... Oh, your dad's dead too? Fuck yeah, man! <laughs> Chest bump! Uh, uh. <laughs> I'm so fucking rich now, man! Let's do some cocaine! Fuck yeah! <laughs> Let's kill Just a hooker! <laughs> we'll never get caught because we're rich! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Just like in the George Washington episode where he bonded with that other guy because his name was George, too. 
Your name's George. I'm George. Ah! Starting to think George Washington was of a simple mind. <laughs> yeah, he just wanted one common connection between them. And he's like, we're best friends now. He's my now. best fucking friend. <laughs> I love this man. <laughs> You're not wrong. Because Washington, who was 100% about appearances and etiquette, and he was terrified of being judged poorly, well, he fell head over heels in love with Lafayette when George was embarrassed to show off his army of untrained, half-naked murder hobos, and Lafayette responded by saying he was there to learn from Washington, not to teach him anything. You're the daddy. I'm the twink. That's how this works. Leather Daddy Washington, please. You got the way. I know I'm more experienced, but you got the way. <laughs> this is your choose-your-own-adventure. Please, Daddy Washington. <laughs> Sometimes you just want—you don't want to be the dom. You want to be the sub dude. You know? Yeah, sub dude. Yeah. Nothing. What's up with you? <laughs> well, all of that is to say, Lafayette was about to get his first. Lesson in war. World of Warcraft. World <laughs> of Warcraft. <laughs> Alright, so you gotta have binds for your different spells, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, there just went half of our audience. That fucking noise you made. They're God so offended. <laughs> are so mad. I know you what believe? binds are, guys. <laughs> and And girl, the one girl that listens. Probably. Yeah. And plays World of Warcraft. Mm -hmm. She's like a paladin. She's like, I'm a healer, guys. I'm supporting the team. Look at me. Of course. Mm -hmm. Appreciate it, but Now you got me all horny to log into World of Warcraft. Go do a raid real quick. Uh, we'll give these people like a 10 seconds, but you got you got eight hours to go take down a boss and maybe get some sweet gear. Dude, I played like once 10 years ago. I, I have no idea. I, I was no too cool idea. for that shit. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I really wanted to nerd out on it. I just, you know, it wasn't my cup of tea. And you're like, God damn it. I'm going to go have sex with the guy instead. <laughs> I'm cool. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a fucking break. Okay. Uh, when do we start? Now. Go. All right, we are back from break. Enjoyed it. Did some uh, World of Warcrafting. I just stayed in the town and played my flute for tips, but uh, I think it went pretty well. Greg, we uh, we have a second half of this story to tell. I don't know if you're aware of that. What? Yeah, you don't seem aware of that, because unlike me, you are not prepared for what we're about to do. That's what I understand, right? You uh, have informed me that you have not procured uh, that the necessary supplies. I have a substitute. Well, we'll see how it goes then. But uh, everybody else, get ready to pop your tops of our second half seltzers. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. And three, two, one, Lonely Pop. So alone. Lonely Pop. 
What are you fucking fifty cent? Lick up on the lonely pop. <laughs> I am drinking. It's close. All right. Mm-hmm. It's carbonated. Mm-hmm. It's well. I I don't need to beat around the bush. Mm-hmm. It reminds me too much of my childhood with my grandmother. But um, <laughs> a Mike's hard lemonade. Oh, okay. Um, strawberry flavored, cold, hard. Refreshing. Yeah. I remember my freshman year of college. This is actually kind of like my uncle, except yeah. he wasn't refreshing. <laughs> Just cold and hard. <laughs> Very, yeah. <laughs> Very emotionless, man. Yeah. yeah. Remorse. No remorse. We'll put it that way. <laughs> it was not refreshing in any way. And the next adjective just kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? Yeah, you yeah, know, now I'm just a little sad. I'm drinking just this, uh, oh, it's a, it's a seltzer hard soda, right? So it's, it's sort of like your uncle, um, in that it's also, you know, the, the word you used and seltzer because he was a clown. So, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like we have a connection. We have connected. We still bonded, even though you don't have an official seltzer to drink for this segment. Okay. Yeah. And also like my uncle. Because, again, hard. Mm-hmm. And he was soda gay because he was married. <laughs> but he was, he was he soda was gay. Soda. You're just He's so gay. <laughs> he has his proclivities. Uh, I just tasted this thing, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure it just gave me type 1 diabetes. <laughs> Instant hangover. It says 5% alcohol by volume. Mm-hmm. I think the other... Ninety-five percent is somehow sugar that has been liquefied. Yeah, it's just a a Kool Aid packet, but all sugar. Like they just six cups of sugar with a Kool Aid packet and fill the rest with water. I just don't see how it's water. This tastes so sweet and fucking nasty. But you have to fight through it because you've made a commitment to these people, and they will know if you don't finish that drink. Oh God, so bad. All right. (laughs) Well. While you enjoy that, maybe you should tell the people the rest of the story. How about that? Okay. Let's do it. In the fall of 1777, the British were on the march towards the U.S. Capitol in Philadelphia. On September 11th, moment of silence, please. They met the Americans in battle near Brandywine Creek. Washington kind of screwed the pooch and allowed the Brits to outflank him and surround the forces of General John Sullivan. Desperate to pitch in, Lafayette begged to help defend Sullivan's flank, and Washington agreed. By the time he arrived at the front lines, the men were panicking and retreating. He got off of his horse and started grabbing them one by one to turn them back into the battle. And since he was a clean, six-foot, one-inch man, wearing the uniform of a major general, even though it was only symbolic, it worked. This dude has clothes, man. We gotta listen to this motherfucker. Look at him. Dude, look at him. He's tall and he's got fucking clothes. Oh my god, he knows what's yeah. up. All these naked murder hobo hillbillies. <laughs> like, just salute him on sight. Fuck, he's got underwear on. Holy shit. Why are you saluting me with two appendages, soldier? Just, It's just a nice uniform. You just, you just filled it out nicely. That's all. <laughs> Why have you saluted your shorts, soldier? <laughs> Nickelodeon joke. Boom. Book it. <laughs> Salute your shorts? Yeah, shout out to the six people that remember that fucking show. Yeah. 
It was a good show, though. They're all the olds that listen to this. <laughs> Not the fucking typical 12-year-old. Well, the battle was a loss, but Lafayette's intervention allowed Sullivan's men time to escape encirclement and complete destruction. He was also able to execute an orderly retreat of the men he commanded. And that is the worst thing that would ever happen to America on September 11th. Agreed. Thank you. Moment of silence. <clears throat> It wasn't until after the battle that Lafayette realized he had been shot in the calf. He was taken to a church for the night where he hung out with Captain James Monroe, who became quick friends with the Frenchman. In the morning, Lafayette was sent back to Philadelphia. Ah, oh, hasn't he suffered enough? Ugh. <laughs> now he's got to meet Tom Hanks oh. <laughs> with AIDS. He's got to go to see the Rocky statue and tell everybody, you know this is a fictional fucking character, right? Like, you have a statue to a, a goddamn movie star. <laughs> you have so much fucking history that happened in this city. And you have a movie star statue that's one of your most famous tourist <laughs> yeah. attractions. Yeah. You realize that's what your city has become, right? Yeah, just a fucking joke. Cheese steaks and Rocky. Congratulations. You played you yourself. pieces of shit. You know what fucking <laughs> cheesesteak consists of? Mm. Tell me, Chris. What's your best guess? I don't know. This is like the little chopped up steak, little cheese uh -huh. whiz, some onions and peppers on a roll. It's provolone, That's right. maybe. Yeah. Cheese whiz. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, you wouldn't eat cheese whiz by itself. You wouldn't dip a tortilla chip in the cheese whiz and think, oh, that's fucking good. Why would you pride yourself on cheese whiz <laughs> cuisine? <sighs> I only learned this like three years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You went to Philadelphia and you're like, this place fucking It has further sucks. confirmed my disgust for Philadelphia. Go Cowboys. As Lafayette was being loaded onto the transport boat, George Washington told the surgeon, treat him as if he were my son. Which, I mean, that took a good amount of difficulty to say through those wooden teeth that we all know. <laughs> no. History says George Washington 100% had. They were slave teeth that were wired together and gave him duck lips and made him look, you know, pretty sexy. Gave him that little pouty look. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, it's, it's basically what we learn in history class. It's basically the same thing, you know. I, don't, I'm, I feel like I'm splitting hairs when I say that. Maybe being a little bit too pedantic, if you will. Chop down cherry tree wooden teeth. <laughs> Lafayette spent the next couple of months recovering in the hospital and writing letters to the French, insisting they help the Americans. Meanwhile, Washington was struggling in battle, while Generals Thomas Conway and Horatio Gates were having success in the far north. They formed what became known as the Conway Cabal and began to angle for George's job. Lafayette wrote Washington to reassure him and to also say, Hey bro, I didn't come all the way over here for nothing. Give me a command, and we'll shut those fools the fuck up. End historical quote. Yes, nailed it. And the accent was spot on, too. Thank you. Yeah. Lafayette hadn't received a response after four whole entire days. Golly. Per my last email. Exactly. Give me a command. Right. Jesus. So naturally, he hopped on his horse and rode out to meet Washington. When he arrived, still limping badly, you know, from the whole calf shoot a caboo, he was assigned to... It's the medical term. That's what doctors oh. call it when you go to the emergency room. 
your laugh interrupted me. Please I'm don't sorry. ever laugh at my <laughs> jokes <sorry>. again. <laughs> Nurse, we need some band-aids for his boo-boo. He's got a calf shot of boo-boo or whatever the fuck you said. Shoot a kaboo. Shoot a kaboo. Make sure the band-aids have Ninja Turtles on it. It's a boy. Shut don't yourself, wanna... Chris. I'm sorry. I didn't go to medical school. Obviously. <laughs> I'm so stupid. Again, when he arrived, still limping badly, he was assigned to assist Nathaniel Green in an attack on the British near Gloucester, New Jersey. Lafayette was given orders to have his men scout the British camp. He joined the men and scouted the enemy himself, and when he saw that 400 Hessian mercenaries were out in the open and unprepared for an attack, he ordered his men to charge. They did some serious damage before British regulars arrived, and Lafayette and his men snuck off back to the camp when night fell. Less than a week later, Congress awarded Lafayette the command of a division of the Continental Army. Washington offered Lafayette the option to pick any division he wanted, and, in honor of his man-crushed George, Lafayette chose to lead the Virginians. Kiss-ass. That's such a little kiss-ass. I like it, you know. You achieve a new rung, you know, on the ladder to success. But you still have your eye on that next rung. Let's go ahead and, like, right when you get in that position, start looking at that next rung. Oh, you know what? I'll take the virgins. <laughs> you know? I've, who can blame him? Who can blame him? He shows up and is a bunch of naked murder hobos from the south. He's like, oh, I misread that word. Stupid English to a French dictionary. Ah, oh, Virginians. Oh, these guys have totally had sex. Wait, but y'all are kind of gives him the double eyebrow bump. <laughs> y'all are but Virginians, right? <laughs> like, no, man, we've been out in the field for two months. <laughs> there ain't a Virginian left amongst us. God damn it. Damn it. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just having fun. You know, Chris? Just having fun. Just a little bit of lighthearted humor, you know? Keep That's guys right. engaged in this history story. You know? Yeah. Uh, let's keep the fun times going. The same day he was given command, Lafayette received a letter telling him that his second daughter, Anastasi, had been born. Oh, what a good Yay. day for him. Yeah. Fun times. What a great day. Such fun times. Yeah. That winter, the Continental Army set up camp in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. It was so cold and miserable and full of cheese whiz, and there were almost <laughs> no supplies other than the aforementioned cheese whiz. So do we just put our dick in this? Because I'm not eating Which, it. Nobody touched it. Nobody yeah. touched it. It was fucking disgusting. It's an abomination. As an officer, Lafayette had the opportunity to stay in a nearby house but instead chose to sleep in huts like his men had to. That's the, you know, a true leader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good quality. He used his own money to buy his soldiers clothing and shoes. Soon, the other officers began calling him our Marquis, and by the end of the winter, every soldier in the army would know him by that term of endearment. As the men suffered in the cold... Thomas Conway and Horatio Gates kept working Congress to give them more power. Washington wasn't removed, but a board of war was established with Conway placed in charge. 
Lafayette and other Washington disciples, like Alexander Hamilton and John Loren, wrote a shitload of letters to Congress telling them how dumb they were for doubting their boy George. Do they really want to hurt him? Do they really want to catch him in a stall trying to get masturbated by a stranger? <laughs> oh, yeah, because never mind. I, I made the boy connection. George. Yeah, did Boy that. George. Yeah, he did that. And sang that song. Oh, yeah, and sang the song. Yeah. <laughs> it is a little weird that George Washington, I mean, I'm not going to say he had a type, but all these guys who loved him very much were like 19, 20-year-old dudes who served as his aides. And uh, just, just saying, they're they all like writing him love letters and stuff. To be fair to George and to HIV, which causes... The AIDS virus. Mm -hmm. George never had a son. He never had kids. And so maybe he's, he saw these young protégés, mm -hmm. you know, as kind of surrogate children. He did. In he, a he really very non-sexual way. He did. Yeah, we, we like to joke, but that is exactly the case. These were his sons. Well, I mean, we don't know. We weren't there. <laughs> don't play both sides of this coin, you piece of shit. You take a stand and then... I'll agree with you because that's my role I don't think it's so much a, a coin as it is like a 12-sided die. There's a <laughs> lot of possibilities here. I mean, maybe that maybe he didn't know yeah. that he wanted these things. Maybe he did. Maybe that didn't exist. And it, yeah. it's all on its face like it is. He just felt something. Just like, this. something is right when I'm with you. But he didn't act on it. I get you. That's why we're not allowed to record in the same room anymore. Because I just, Did he fuck a slave? No. Not that we know of. Exactly. <laughs> Boy, it's going to be hard to do a history podcast if we're just speculating the whole damn time. Like, oh, you know, it could have happened. I'm just saying, <laughs> Q goes back further than you know. Prove it didn't happen. <laughs> Prove the... Yeah, okay. God damn it. You win. You win, counselor. I rest my case. To shut Lafayette up, the Board of War promoted him to Commander-in-Chief of the Northern Army and ordered him to invade Canada in the middle of winter. Mm. All right, let's go, Napoleon. <laughs> Even though Napoleon hadn't done that yet. No. no. Nor had Hitler, who Lafayette, I, I've heard, modeled his <laughs> tactics after. Well, I heard his first step of planning the invasion of Canada was see how many truckers he could get that disagreed with the Canadian government. And see if they would just clog the streets. And that, I mean, that was going to hamper the Brits right there. They couldn't get through. It's a foolproof fucking plan, boys. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what will really piss them off, though? Just land that horn. That fucking <laughs> just horn. all night. I bet you won't. I bet you won't. <laughs> do it. Do it. What are they going to do? Steal all of our GoFundMe money? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever. They can't stop us. <laughs> oh. Well... All that was a sham to get Lafayette away from Washington. And of course, he knew it, but George insisted he follow the orders. When Lafayette arrived, there were no men and no supplies waiting on him. The invasion had been sabotaged by the Conway Cabal. Eventually, his men arrived and he began training with them while also requisitioning supplies. But mainly what he did was write letters to Congress, calling them assholes, and demanding to be sent back to Washington, the person, not, you know, 
D.C. because that wasn't really a thing. It could have been the state, though. No, the state did not exist God, at this time, it. and you know that. No, I didn't. I was trying to sound smart. Ah, fuck. Sorry. I'm fucking idiot. It's territory. God, I'm so stupid. But yeah, he wanted to get sent back to General Washington, or he'd tell the French not to bother with sending any money or troops to America's aid in the revolution. Well, you know, although he had no actual power to make that happen, they didn't know that. So they listened. And they sent him back to work with old Georgie. When he got back, he continued pleading with the French government to become allies with the Americans. And this is where, you know, that kind of flips it on his head. That that last comment was mm-hmm. true. He did not have that influence then. But when he started, like, actually trying to get them involved, he was talking about, like, hey, these people can help us in our own right later if we help them now, if we help them with gaining their freedom from our mortal enemy of the time, the British. Yeah, he wrote countless letters back to like the the foreign minister and all that just over and over again. Just annoyed the shit out of him. It was Andy Dufresne and Shawshank trying to get the library built, basically, mm-hmm. until they're like, fine, fuck it. Here's $200 million. I don't care. Win the fucking war, and then we'll fuck up the Brits. But just shut the fuck up, please. I, I see your point, but I think they did definitely invest into it. It wasn't like a leave us alone. It yeah, was, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It eventually reached enough people to where it was like, okay, th- this guy has a point. Let's do this. So even though he was bluffing before, he actually did become this influential figure to get them involved. Yeah, he was so popular on both sides of the ocean that basically when he said, we need this help, He's a sexy man. Everybody's like, yeah. I mean, he's like The Rock, you know? Oh, God. He's popular everywhere. Nobody hates The Rock, right? Everybody loves The Rock. Uh, I love The Rock. Mm. I love The Rock, mind, body, and soul. Anyway, <laughs> no, I just wanted to clarify that because these two comments are very contradictory. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have well, power yeah. to do it, and, and, and then he did it. <laughs> so I felt like it needed a little nuance. He's. He couldn't get money, then he got money. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he had no power to get the French on his side. Then he got the French on his side. <laughs> <laughs> well, and when they did eventually agree to all this, uh, and word would eventually reach Valley Forge, and of course, a massive party broke out, you know? Inch, 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 inch. <laughs> George fucking twerking up there in a thong, champagne rolling down the ass crack. Listener, you can imagine. Anyway. Lafayette joined in in the twerking, mm-hmm. but he was only pretending to be happy. Which, who's really happy when they're twerking? <laughs> Not me. I'm crying the whole time. This is the only way I can make money. Doing this for Japanese businessmen. They're on suit and ties. <laughs> I know every time I twerk, I'm just thinking of my mom being a single mom, mm-hmm. my dad, how would he be proud of me? I don't know. I'll never know. <laughs> but I know if he saw me like this, he would he wouldn't be. And that yeah, it's just I'm a damaged person. I'm a damaged let's put it that way. It's like the ass to ass moment in Requiem for a dream. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know? God. <laughs> you know your life's gone off the rails, but you got to do what you got to do, right? A dollar's a dollar. Oh, that's like the saddest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <sighs> like I said, Lafayette joined in, but he was only pretending to be happy. And now, with all that sad stuff, let's again, let's focus on the positive. Mm-hmm. Let's turn this podcast, this story, up into the happy stratosphere, okay? Sounds good. Yeah. All right. The same day that word arrived of France's aid, Lafayette received a letter notifying him of the death of his daughter, Henriette. Oh. I feel like we were building good momentum in the first half of that sentence, and then you just took the wind out of our sails a little bit there. She'll well, never, Chris, I don't know the story, again. and so I, I was. <laughs> what did you just say? She'll never twerk again. No, she was like the, the, the young daughter. <laughs> you truly are a piece of shit. <laughs> My joke was going to be that I didn't read this book, <laughs> and that I didn't know that that was that was happening. That, that was a that was a. And you what? just went ahead and interrupted <laughs> me and outdid me at the same time. You heartless son of a bitch. I wouldn't say outdid. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> like, like you were going to be respectful and be like, oh, you know, it's sad she's dead. I'm like, she's not up there on the pole. Give it up for Henriette on the main stage. Yeah, outdid. Yeah. My, my joke all <laughs> took place before the listener knew a child is, is now dead. Oh, my gosh. She was a child. I thought she was 32. I thought she had an eye patch. I thought she had a cocaine overdose in Hollywood with Chris Farley. Shit. Uh, that was uh, not cocaine. Oh, uh, was it not? That was not just cocaine. So. <laughs> I think I think that was a speedball. I think that was a little heroin cocaine combo. Oh, was it? Poor yeah. Chris Farley. Well, shortly thereafter... Washington sent Lafayette and his men on a scouting mission. The Brits decided that since France was joining the war, their best chance at victory was to consolidate their forces in New York, and thus were moving away from the capital of Philadelphia. Washington told Lafayette to move quick and quietly and to not set up camp. So, when Lafayette arrived at Barron Hill, he said, This looks like a fan-fucking-tastic place to set up a camp. (laughs) Oh, baguette! Of course he did. Of course he did. (laughs) A British spy soon sent word to Sir William Howe that renowned Frenchman Lafayette was camping on the nearby hill. He was so horny to make Lafayette a British POW that he turned around with 16,000 troops and surrounded that same hill. Lafayette ordered several of his men to sneak into the woods and begin a pattern of firing at the Brits and then move to different spots to fire again in order to trick them into believing they were being the ones who were actually surrounded. You know, you got all these shots coming from all these areas. It's the Patriot, man. He saw the Patriot with Mel Gibson. But it's just two dudes. Yeah, and his little boys. You think it's five dudes in the dark? It's just two. (laughs) They just keep switching. Just changing positions. Yeah. They're on like a, a, a gimbal. (laughs) Just rotating around, just hitting you from every... I can actually hear the merry-go-round music playing, but it's so dark, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) I only know after the fact that they had clown makeup on the whole time because they turned on the lights to clean up. 
That's the only way I knew. Imagine. <laughs> you know, go to an orgy and you turn on the lights and like, holy shit. What the f-? They got in their big rigs and drove away. <laughs> yeah. On to Wyoming or Florida. Ottawa. Wherever. Probably Ottawa. <laughs> Straight across the border. <laughs> Their truck horns play as they cross the border. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this whole making them believe they were the ones surrounded, it worked. And Lafayette and his men were able to escape while taking only three casualties. About a month later, in June of 1778, George Washington was still hot on the trail of the retreating British. He caught up to them near Monmouth, New Jersey, and polled his generals as to whether or not he should attack their rear guard. All but one, General Charles Lee, said they should attack. Washington decided to go ahead with it, but because Lee was the highest-ranking member of his staff, he was placed in command of the attack. Which, that kind of seems a little backwards, (laughs) doesn't it? Yes, Greg and You know, you probably know this, but for the rest of these people, this is a little-known fact. Charles Lee was actually so against the idea of attacking that he refused to lead the troops. In response, Washington placed Lafayette in command, but when Lee realized his reputation might suffer from being replaced by a 21-year-old foreigner, he begged Lafayette to let him run the show. The next day... Lee told Lafayette and General Anthony Wayne to stand down because he didn't have proper intelligence. Washington told Lee to attack. Lee then gave conflicting orders which caused chaos and allowed the British to counterattack. Lafayette was surrounded and had to be rescued by Wayne's forces. Lee then ordered a full retreat. Washington was like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? I got wooden teeth. Except for the... (laughs) You know, last part of that. Wires. I'm sorry, correct quote. What the fuck are you doing, bro? I got slave teeth with wires. (laughs) He just immediately changes his tone. (laughs) (laughs) With with wire. (laughs) Slave teeth with wire. And uh, he halted the retreat. That's the important part. Yeah. The quote, not so important. Despite the fact that the battle would end in a draw, many people, including Lafayette, believe that was Washington's finest moment as a leader. That night, as the Brits slipped away in the darkness, Washington and Lafayette laid side by side on a blanket and talked about how much of a little bitch Charles Lee was. I I bet his dick's not this big. (laughs) No! And then Lafayette pulls it out. I bet it's not this big either. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't don't think a lot of guys uh, could match up to you. Oh, no, no, no. You eat eat there. (laughs) And then, uh, I think you can imagine, listener, they played a game of chess. Yeah, I mean, it was, there was not a, this was not a sexual relationship. I don't know why your mind goes there, Craig. Chess. Oh. Oh, okay, never mind. I'm sorry. I, you, you were talking about penises being out and my, my mind started drifting. I was thinking about something else. I'm sorry. Wow. Chess. Okay. Yeah. Charles Lee was a bitch, though. Fuck that guy. That fall, Lafayette was granted a leave. He planned on using it to rally the French Navy to attack Canada or the West Indies, but Washington nixed all of those plans and told Lafayette to go see his wife and daughter instead. Like, dude, you... I I appreciate 
the enthusiasm. I love it. That's fucking awesome. But uh, go take care of your shit before it catches <laughs> up to you. Uh, you know I came over here to get away from her, right? Well, I feel like we all know these people that like just get too driven into something. And yeah. It's like, hey, you need a fucking reality check. Like, go take care of that shit before it drives you insane later on. Yeah, before you bring the gun to work after killing your family at home. Yes. Don't bring the gun to work. Just kill them. Don't join ISIS. Yeah, don't do that. Subscribe to our Patreon, which will give you a direct communication link to either Chris or myself. Mm -hmm. And we will talk you down. We're here for you. Or, you know, encourage certain things in your life. Not killing necessarily. <laughs> well... Full not disclosure. not killing necessarily. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's a safe space here. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe it's time to come clean. Full disclosure, your friend reached out to me um, because you weren't available. You're busy that day, and he's just like hitting up the Patreon. He's like, "Hey, you guys there?" I'm like, "Yeah, what's up?" He's like, "I'm thinking about joining ISIS." And I'm like, "Man, you just gotta follow your heart. You gotta do what's right for you." And I feel slightly responsible for the fact that he joined ISIS, but uh, not not fully responsible because you should have been there to answer the question. But and you left me in charge, so this is what you fucking get. Hmm. So I wasn't there. Mm. -mm. And he still joined ISIS. <laughs> yep. I'm glad to see my influence knows no bounds. <laughs> when Lafayette got home. He was immediately arrested. Remember when he bailed back in 1777? Well, a warrant was issued for going to America without permission. As punishment, he was placed under house arrest in a mansion for a week, and then promoted in the French army. <laughs> Imagine that. There's, there's two different Francis, that's all I'm saying. He soon reconnected with his wife and knocked her up. Immediately. So she says. Over the summer, he and Benjamin Franklin came up with a plan for an amphibious assault on England. It fizzled out when the French Navy, which had already basically shit the bed when it came to helping America, shit the bed again and showed up too late to invade Britain. Lafayette went back home where, on Christmas Eve 1779, Adrienne gave birth to a son named George Washington de Lafayette. Love it. Love it. Yeah. When I have a daughter, I'm going to name her Christopher, HPH. Yay! Awesome. Not Christine. That's, I mean, because that's my given name, but I'll, I'll take Christopher. That sounds better. Uh, no, I, I don't want to have any chance for her to fit in. <laughs> I want her to live my life. Okay? <laughs> yeah, I got you. Makes her stronger. Yeah, it made me very mentally... You might have a point, Chris. <laughs> Maybe I should reconsider. I'm sorry. I spaced out. I was thinking about that time that girl was mean to me in school about the Funyuns and the kissing. I don't... <laughs> just crying a little over here. After getting France to promise 6,000 troops under the command of General Rochambeau, Lafayette once again sailed for America. By the time he arrived in spring of 1780, shit was falling apart for the Americans. The British had decided to focus on attacking the South, and it was working. Because the South is, traditionally, weaker. Bunch of losers. 
bunch of losers. Uh, we're from the South, so we're we're allowed to say it. First, they captured General Benjamin Lincoln and his 5,000 men and forced them to surrender without proper honors. Which, basically, that means they capture them all, they don't get their fucking guns, take off your uniforms, your pieces of shit. Yeah. They then kicked in the teeth of Horatio Gates at the Battle of Camden, South Carolina, when Gates ordered 3,000 untrained troops to attack British General Cornwallis's best cavalry units. Lafayette and Alexander Hamilton began writing a ton of letters to the state leaders asking for more troops, and they actually gladly agreed to send them. And then Rochambeau arrived with the promised French troops. Except instead of bringing 6,000 troops, he only brought 5,000. Okay, I mean, that's not terrible. At least they're all able to fight and stuff. And only 2,000 of those weren't sick and starving. Oh... Yeah, that changes things. Mm-hmm. Rochambeau had screwed the pooch, but he wisely decided not to attack the British until he could get more reinforcements. As far as the quest for American independence was going, 1780 was pretty much a wasted year. Nothing gained, nothing lost. Just like my my one year in college. I mean, well, I say wasted, but I saw every movie that came out the summer of 2000. It was pretty great. I saw Shaft three times. Perfect Storm. That was a good one. Gladiator. Saw Gladiator. That was cool. Saw Perfect Storm again. I mean, there weren't a lot of movies that came out that were really good that year. So it was, yeah, okay, it was wasted. It was a waste of fucking time. And then my dad kicked me out of the house because I was spending his money. I was supposed to be going to college. Started prostituting myself. Uh, you know. Maybe that's where my life fell apart, but I don't. I, I still, I think maybe I'm stretching to say it would be wasted. I, I think it was a, a turning point, you know? Yeah, like you were already in a downward trajectory. Yeah. And it turned you further downward. Like you were going at like a, a 45 degree angle, yeah. and then it started like maybe an 85 degree angle <laughs> after <laughs> that. Stuka into the it ground. Did, it definitely did change your life. That's true. That is true. Not for the better. (laughs) But everything changed in 1781. In January, General Nathaniel Green and Daniel Morgan defeated the British at the Battle of Calpins in South Carolina and put the Brits into total disarray. Washington came up with a plan to pin the Brits against the coast and then use the French Navy to cut off their escape at sea, but it was going to take time to put it all together. Because he knew that there were spies everywhere, Washington led everyone, including Lafayette, to believe that the big offensive would actually be an attack to retake New York. So Lafayette was a bit pissy and confused when Washington ordered him to go south to Richmond, Virginia, to protect some random armory. I hear some dude named John Brown's come up there, fuck shit up, and he's trying to like start some sort of rebellion that would be really bad for me, George Washington. For reasons I'm not going to get into right now, but he wants to, like, I don't know, change some fundamental things that all of us Southerners believe in for some reason and uh, we're kind of pieces of shit. But uh, as soon as I die, I want all of that to end. Um, again, not going into specifics, but can you stop that from happening, maybe? What you said is such a head fuck 
<laughs> John Brown is so much later. It's like a hundred. And then you're years referencing later. slavery. George in Washington. Washington wanting his slaves freed, but only upon his death. You, if you know wow. history, if you know history, that was fucking hilarious. Cool. That hit like two listeners, and none of them are fucking Patreon members. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Smart people would never pay for our Patreon. <laughs> Although there's there's a lot of unreleased info there. I, I will say that. Mm-hmm. Is it quality? I'll let you decide once you give me money. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lafayette was practically begging to attack something, but when he got to Richmond, he was soon faced by an overwhelmingly large British force led by the infamous General Cornwallis. Instead of fighting, he was able to command an orderly retreat, move all of the guns out of Richmond, and evacuate the capital before the Brits could attack. Lafayette and his men spent the next couple of months harassing the British using guerrilla warfare and drove them to the coast of Virginia without ever engaging in a full-scale battle. Finally, in September, Lafayette was reunited with his general-slash-fake-dad-slash-daddy, George Washington, and together with the Continental Army and the French, they surrounded General Cornwallis at Yorktown and laid siege to the city. You know, I have a problem with people co-opting the word daddy and making it sexual. It's made things weird, okay? As a 40-year-old man and a father, I mean, I don't like the idea that I can't call my dad daddy without it being uncomfortable, okay? <laughs> well, I mean, just because the feelings are unrequited doesn't mean that, you know... <laughs> Stop you calling stop me that, god them. damn it! <laughs> uh, on October 19, 1781, General George Cornwallis surrendered to the Americans. Washington was going to allow the British to surrender with honor, but Lafayette objected and demanded they surrender their weapons and march out of the city, just as they had made General Benjamin Lincoln do the year before. As they marched down the road, lined on one side by the French in their nice fancy uniforms and the other by half-naked murder-hobo Americans, the British refused to look at the American side. Lafayette ordered his band to play Yankee Doodle and turned their attention to the American allies. For all intents and purposes, the Revolutionary War was over. Lafayette returned home to France where he was hailed as a hero and began to try and spread the ideals of American liberty throughout his country. He and George Washington wrote to each other frequently and discussed world matters, their profound love for each other, and their shared desire to host each other's families in their homes. In 1784, Lafayette returned to America and went on a whirlwind tour of honors. He was given a degree from Harvard and was made an American citizen. And, of course, he spent a lot of time with George Washington. In December, the two parted so that Lafayette could return to France once more. George Washington wrote him a long parting letter that implied that George was getting older, his family had a history of dying young, and he'd probably never see Lafayette again. Lafayette wrote him back saying George was being silly, and they'd get together soon, have a few shots of rumplements. <clears throat> but George was right. They would never see each other again, and Lafayette was going home to a country on the verge of self-destruction. End of this part of the story.
Woo! Kind of a sad woo because, I don't know, man. It, it just breaks my heart that George and Lafayette won't see each other again. That's just the end of it. Um, You're not accounting for heaven, Chris. <laughs> George Washington's in fucking heaven, okay. Or hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair Maybe enough. Maybe there's like a visitor's space between them, <laughs> like there is in prison. Yeah, he goes up and pulls up the phone. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? Oh my god, this place is the fucking worst. Every nerve in my body is burning. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Skinless corpse of George Washington, just exposed muscles, just screaming in pain. Well, I love you, General. Um, I'm going to go back to heaven. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, Lafayette's just surrounded by... Like ripped dudes spoiled <laughs> and they've got, you know, Rumplemans and Jaeger <laughs> and all <laughs> uh, Goldschlager, all the cool frat boy drinks. Like, oh, that's heaven to me. <laughs> Cherubic angels with big wieners. Oh yeah. Yeah. I call this Cupid Zero. I'm gonna stab you with it. All right. Um, well, that is the end of this part of the story. I think we told it well. I'm going to go cry a little bit later because George Washington... God, I don't. <laughs> I'm going to go cry because Lafayette and George Washington won't be together again. But there is still the second half of this story to tell next time. But before we get to that, there may be a few things that I think... I think Greg intentionally left out of the story, and now I have to set them up and give them to these people. And I call those... The Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. One of the men who came to America with Lafayette was a Prussian named Johann de Kalb. Initially, he was a plant sent by the French to overthrow Washington and install a French general. But he became enamored with Washington and wrote letters in defense of George during the winter at Valley Forge. He would later be killed in the Battle of Camden, fighting for American independence. Fast fact number two. A big reason that Lafayette was beloved by his men was he would frequently talk to them about their previous battles and try to get their input on what they liked and what they thought did or didn't work. This made the men feel valued, and it was also a way for the inexperienced Lafayette to learn battle-tested tactics. Fast fact number three. On his journey back to France in 1778, a plot was hatched by English deserters who were on board Lafayette's ship to capture Lafayette and the boat he was traveling on. Fortunately for Lafayette, one of the plotters turned state's witness, and Lafayette was able to lead a team of 40 officers to capture and arrest all of the men who had conspired against him. Fast Fact Number 4 During the waning days of war in 1781, the British liberated a group of British and Hessian POWs in North Carolina, hoping to add them to their fighting force. The prisoners had spent several years building homes, tending to livestock, and marrying Americans, and even hung out with Thomas Jefferson on the reg. To a man, they all refused to rejoin the British in their fight against the Americans. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you come back in a couple of weeks and check out the second part of Lafayette and his adventures in France. In the meantime, check us out, hunterproofhistory.com. So you'll find a little bit of biographical information. 
a link to our Patreon where you can subscribe for $3 a month and that gets you early access to new episodes and like, I don't know, like a hundred something things that regular people don't get to listen to. Little mini episodes, old episodes. It's a whole lot of shit and you guys will love it. Uh, so check that out. Also find us on social media at 100ProofHistory. We uh, post a lot of memes, a lot of things related to the story that maybe gets left out of the episode, so be sure to follow us there. But that is it. So, for myself, the sexiest co-host you will ever hear, Christopher, I say goodbye. And I say that for Dan the Intro Man, Hambone, who didn't show up this week, and Wolfdick, our esteemed Invalid Producer. We all love you, and we are all wondering, main host Gregory, what else? I'm the scat man. Bibi do me do. Goodbye. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm going to go watch Lay Miz. Gordon, that's what we're doing right now. Knock, knock, open up the door, it's real. What's that? X gonna give it to you. Oh, okay. I don't know any other words besides X gonna give it to you, X gonna give it to you. First we gonna rock, then we gonna First roll. First we gonna rock, then we gonna roll. <laughs> you gotta put the pauses in <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> First we gonna rock, then we gonna roll. <laughs> Yeah, because otherwise it sounds like a, a 1960s I want to hold your hand type. First we're going like, to rock and then we're going to roll. <laughs> roll with the devil. That's what that means. That 50s. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I, guess I don't so, fucking know. I don't care. Oh, yeah, that is 50s. When they had the, the poodle on the bottom of the skirt, the pink skirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the twist was like this big salacious dance. She's moving on her hips. <laughs> what a hoo-er. You know what that means. <laughs> it means she she's takes it in the butt. <laughs> What's a butt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the 1950s nice guys following her outside the bar. Like, hey, baby, you want to go on a date? Like, no, sorry. I saw you doing the twist. I know you want it. I know what kind of girl you are. <laughs> To have acid reflux, you know, some Prilosec or some shit. When he was 11, Lafayette's mom showed back up and took the boy to Paris. You get on to some Prilosec. Prilogaysex. <laughs> Pile of gay sex. Bitch, got you. <laughs> he got there. He got yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Pile of gay sex. <laughs> In your face. You were In your the, stupid fucking face. You were the bully. <laughs> and you were the cucky. I was. Except back then, I didn't think it was funny. It was like, no, no pile of pile of <laughs> sex with your mom. Uh, damn it! <laughs> and your and your dad was watching because he's cucked, not me. I'm not the cuck. <laughs> he's the cuck. Scroll. You did it again. It hurts. You cannot fucking hide from me. That was not a burp. You, that was literally you, me you making a noise. You move and it pushes gas out. That was a noise I made from leaning. I bet if I went over there and made you do I'm a little fucking teapot, you'd be... Oh.
<laughs> Every time you fucking bent over because it would contort your stomach. I, you fucking don't lie to me. <laughs> Took you a joke and made it better. Well, I was waiting for you. No, I was, that's sort of oh, okay. set up. It was a T. Okay, good. good. <laughs> did I handle it okay? You did good. You did good. I like it. Thanks, Dad. You're welcome. Uncle Dad. Uncle Dad. Now give me your inheritance. And your boy pussy. <laughs> <laughs> or bussy, as I've seen it typed on the internet. Really? Yeah. Give me that Gary bussy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. You can't even have a good time. You didn't see me? I was chugging as hard as I could while you were talking. I was like, watch this shit. I'm like trying to like... Louis stayed in his room and it's unbelievable. Yep, you're banned from beer. Nope, you can't do that. You can't have carbonated drinks until the second half when I'm talking. That way, it's only your little little known facts. And well, no, you do. I think you probably talk more in my half than you do in your own (laughs) half. (laughs) I remember something from the book. I have to interject. You get an ulcer, then you die. Hilarious. I think I have one, actually, so that's fun. And I inherit the podcast. You can have it. You can have it right fucking now. I immediately (laughs) fucking cancel it and erase it from the internet. Well, I probably shouldn't say this, so feel free to edit this out, Wolf Dick, but... I killed a kid and I kissed his body. (laughs) No, no. Oh. I'm I'm proud of that fucking moment. No. I keep looking at this like I want... Like, mm, it looks so thirst quench. Look at it. It looks refreshing. I keep looking at it with my fucking dry mouth, and I'm like, no, I'll just swallow my white spit. <laughs> That'll hydrate me. Just run over that basin sink and just start splashing water in your mouth. Where's that piss bottle? <laughs> Reach Bear Grylls level of podcasting. Ugh, I gotta drink my own urine. <laughs> No longer having a good time, having a good time. Oh, I fucking hate this podcast and all the work that it creates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's getting long, boy. That's what your uncle said. I was about to say the exact same thing. That's funny. bop. Skiddly bop, you can't say woo until I'm done. I'm I'm the scat man. I shit on your chest. Shit on your chest. Scat man. (laughs) That's how that song goes.